So today we begin an adventure. We are going to do something that I have never done before. Lord willing, Al, we are going to undertake a study of the gospel according to Luke. I have never preached through Luke before. I have preached in various passages throughout it, but uh, we are going to undertake a study nevertheless. And we're going to do it in an odd sort of way. I'm going to kick us off today by looking at the introduction, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1. And then we're going to skip over a couple of chapters for a little while, and we're going to spend time there. And then as we approach the Advent season, we're going to come back to chapter 1 and pick up so that uh, we'll be in those verses that pertain to the coming of John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus in that season of the year when we observe the advent of the Lord Jesus. So that's what we're doing, and I hope you're excited about it because I am. But even so, any time that we open the Bible, whatever passage we consider there, we have confidence in knowing that it's the Word of God. And oh, how much we need the Word of God. So we begin Luke chapter 1. Beginning with verse 1, hear the word of God. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to complete a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so, as the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of the Lord stands forever. This is the word which, by the gospel, is preached to you. Amen. Reliable sources. There's nothing like having reliable sources. All of us have been subjected to hearing rumors and things that weren't true and have felt ourselves victimized by having fallen for it. Like the lady who somehow believed that she had an unknown uncle who had left her money in a bank in Kenya and who sent money to the person who sent the email so that he could secure the necessary lawyers and legalities to be able to receive her inheritance. She's still waiting on it. It hadn't come in the mail yet. No check so far. I remember growing up hearing the story about a man named Tom King who disrupted a revival service at, uh, at Palmer Methodist Chapel in the Cataloochee Valley back in the day before the government took it over to be part of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. There was a revival service. A man by the name of Tom King came in, ran the preacher out of the pulpit, pulled a pistol from his pocket and twirled it on his finger and said, if there's going to be any preaching done here tonight, I'm going to do it. And I'd heard the story about how uh, a preacher had courageously stood up to him. Until the day I was sitting in the living room of my older cousin, who was at the time 101 years old. As I was asking him about what Catalucci was like before the park took over, and he started talking to me, and he said, yeah, I never will forget that time old Tom King walked into the church and broke up the meeting. And I, with an open gate mouth, said, you were there? He said, I reckon I was. I was sitting on a third row. And he told me the story. And for the first time, I realized it wasn't the preacher who stood up to him. The preacher had gone out the window in terror. 
There was a little lady who wasn't even five feet tall by the name of Mag Mooney Caldwell who walked up there and grabbed him by the earlobe and dragged him out, even while he had a gun in his hand, and said, Tom King, you need to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Now, you go home until you do that. And he left. Eyewitness account. There's nothing like it. And so as Luke begins his gospel narrative, a few things become clear. Not everything that we might like, but nevertheless a few things. First of all, Luke doesn't count himself to be among those who were eyewitnesses. He speaks of them in the third person. But he does nevertheless undertake to write an accurate accounting of what happened with regard to the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. The name Luke does not appear in this gospel account. He does not identify himself. However, our biblical reasoning for attributing the authorship of this gospel to him comes because of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a continuation to this same individual Theophilus of all that the Lord Jesus began to do and to say. And as we read through that book, we come finally to the place where the author stops speaking in the third person, not talking about what they or them did, but he speaks of we. And if we do a little bit of sleuthing, we soon discover that one named Luke has joined the party and is with the Apostle Paul. And together with early church tradition, it seems to be unassailable that Luke, who is referred to by Paul as the beloved physician in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, is in fact the author. And that's why our series is entitled, The Doctor Has Good News. Don't you like it? When the doctor can't find anything? You know, they seldom meet a test they don't like. But it's good when they're able to give us good news. And here Luke, known as Lucas in the original gives us good news. His name occurs only three times in the entire New Testament. 2 Timothy 4.11, Philemon 24, and um, also, of course, in Colossians 4.14. We find in the Gospel according to Luke a number of emphases that are consistent with what Paul emphasized. After all, if somebody were traveling with the Apostle Paul and heard him teach and preach on a consistent basis, you might expect that what Paul teach, taught rather, would be uh, found right here in the book. I almost gave you some good Appalachian English there. Sometimes I feel like I need a translator. I never will forget Speedy London, who used to talk about... Uh, how that uh, he had a nephew that was a little thick in the head, but uh, Speedy would say, I keep learning him. <laughs> so you need to keep learning me. Paul emphasized a number of themes, and they find their way in the gospel according to Luke. There's an emphasis on faith, having trust in the Lord Jesus. There's an emphasis on prayer. Paul, after all, is the one who said, pray without ceasing. And Luke greatly emphasizes the teaching of prayer. Paul, of course, emphasized Jesus Kyrios, 
Jesus is Lord. Not Kaiser Kyrios, not Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is Lord. That was the theme there in the time of the Roman Empire, and Luke carries that through in his gospel account. Paul, of course, emphasized the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So does Luke. Paul also emphasized joy, even in the midst of trials and circumstances that were difficult. Paul spoke of joy. Just read Philippians, for example. Even when Paul is under arrest and is chained to the Praetorian Guard, the theme there is joy, and Luke carries that over. And there also is in Paul's writing, as we will see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, an emphasis on the Lord's Supper. And Luke carries even some of the same language that Paul uses concerning the Supper into his own gospel narrative. Luke is the narrator. Theophilus, a name which means loved by God, is the narratee. That's actually a word. I've read that in commentaries. So having not impressed you with my ability at English, I wanted to throw out something that maybe perhaps would. A narrator and the narratee. There you go. Tradition tells us, according to writers in the early church after the New Testament era, that Luke was single and without children. I can't tell you that definitely, but that's what tradition tells us. And he, that he died at the age of 84 in Boeotia, which is in the center of modern-day Greece. Boeotia, rather. He was from Antioch in Syria. Later, it is believed, lived in Philippi. He was a Gentile. He was a Greek. He was not Jewish. As I say, he writes his account to an individual named Theophilus, which simply means loved by God. Isn't that interesting? In writing to an individual, is it not true that those of us who have come to a realization of our sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus can also affirm to be those who are loved by God? So while we have the immediate audience of this individual about whom we know practically nothing, we are able to affirm that ultimately this book, like all of the Bible, is also written to us, whoever the immediate audience may have been. Luke, of course, uh, says that he has undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Isn't that interesting? He includes himself there. Just like all of us, when we read the scriptures and we can talk about what happens historically in the Bible, yet we know that those are things that God has begun to do and that nevertheless he is continuing to doing, and we're a testimony of that. We find information in the gospel according to Luke that we don't find in the other gospel narratives. About one-seventh of the book, for example, verses, or rather in chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 38, is all new or largely new information that we don't find elsewhere. Luke was able to draw from a common, rich, oral tradition. But, and here's the thing to bear in mind, those who had been eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus, particularly the apostles, who faithfully had heard, in whom the Holy Spirit had brought to their remembrance the things that Jesus taught and did, were dying from the scene. They were leaving as their lives came to an end. And so it became crucial for their sayings, for their oral history to be written down so that it could be recorded. Just like when Moses was passing from the scene, if you remember, he gave the things that he had written to Joshua. 
And those written words were just as authoritative as the spoken word of Moses had been. And so Luke undertakes to write an accurate history. But, of course, we also affirm he did it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it is therefore God's word. Probably written somewhere around the year 63. It was likely before Rome caught fire, which happened somewhere in the hours between July the 18th and 19th of the year 64 A.D. when Nero would blame Christians for that conflagration that left, what, 10 out of 14 districts in the city of Rome almost utterly destroyed. Uh, This book seems to have been written prior to that, so we think somewhere around 63, after Paul had gotten to Rome the first time, but before that uh, persecution broke out following the Roman fire. All of that's just a little bit of background. What we need to know is this, is that Luke deemed the matter to be important. He undertook meticulous research. He undertook the hard effort to speak to eyewitnesses, to people who knew what they had seen and heard, to write it down because it mattered. We think about Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they rejected knowledge. Luke understands the importance of people knowing who the Lord Jesus is. Theophilus needed to know Even though he had been taught things, orally instructed, Luke wanted him to be affirmed in the things that he had been taught by his teachers. And so he writes down this comprehensive account, relying on those eyewitnesses. This, by the way, speaks of his honesty. After all, if this book, like many skeptics argue that it and other books of the Bible are, if these somehow were forgeries... Would it not stand to reason that someone who was seeking to forge a document like this would claim to be himself one of the eyewitnesses? Would that not give it more authority? Would that not give it perhaps a greater audience? Hey, I was there and I saw it. We've all known people like that, right? But he doesn't. He honestly says, they saw, and I sought to research what could be known from them. By the way, verses 1 through 4 All of that's one sentence in the original. And the good versions carry that over as one sentence. So, just a few things to observe, and then I'll do my outline quickly. Christianity is based on definite historical facts. The events and things that he speaks of in verse 1, a narrative of the things, implies that he's writing history and not a biography. The Apostle John told us that they didn't write down everything because the whole world couldn't contain the books that should be written. He wants to record an accurate history, not give us an exhaustive life of Jesus. And he also speaks of those things that have been accomplished. That word is in the perfect tense, and it means a continuation of a completed action. So, in a very real sense, those of us who know the Lord Jesus are perfect in that we are a continuation of a completed action. By Jesus' death on the cross, he has achieved our salvation. Now, you're not at moral perfection. Don't be under a delusion. But nevertheless, you are a continuation of the Lord's work. So, let's look at this very quickly. First of all, 
Christianity is Jesus Christ. John R. W. Stott has said it, and we affirm it. Everything that we are and all that we hope to be is tied up in the person of the Lord Jesus and the things that he has accomplished and that he continues to accomplish among us. So the gospel or good news accounts are factual narratives of the life of Jesus. I know, I know, PBS documentaries talk about them being billboards or advertisements. People who were trying to write and get across a particular point of view so that they could guide the church as it was back in the day in the way that they wanted it to go. There's no textual or historical evidence for that whatsoever. That was hatched in the minds of people in modern day times who were scheming and trying to figure out a way to diminish the impact and effect of Christianity. Luke states that his purpose is to deliver an accurate account, a truthful account of things. John 20, verses 30 through 31, as I've already alluded to. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Again, the purpose of the writers of the gospel accounts is not to give us an exhaustive record of the life of Jesus, but in order that we might believe who he really is. And believe in him that we may have everlasting life. That's the purpose. They give us not all that we want to know, but they give us everything we need to know. So that's an important point to make. Also in John chapter 21, verse 25. Now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were they all to be written? The whole world couldn't contain the books. So there's that reference. Again, historical record. Not billboards, not advertisement, not a marketing scheme, but actual history. And by the way, Luke, in the 19th century, came under severe attack by skeptical scholars, especially in the Wellhausen Theological School in Germany. And many people believe that he was, um, that he was more a uh, novel writer than he was an historian. And yet, Studies were undertaken of his writings, particularly by one Sir William Ramsey, who thought that by going to the Middle East and by traveling in the vicinity of the Mediterranean Sea and the areas north of there, that he could discredit Luke as an historian. And a lot of his friends were very excited about his travels and work because they were waiting for that seminal work that he was going to issue that would finally once and for all discredit Luke as an historian as Ramsey sought to retrace the steps in the book of Acts. And after 20 years, Ramsey wrote a book, and in it he affirmed the truthfulness of Luke's record and said that Luke as an historian was an historian of the highest order. Others have done the same. The gospel, the gospel, and understand this, is all of the biblical information about the life and work of Jesus. Sometimes we tend to narrow the gospel down and we want to make it just about the cross. Now, the cross is the heart of the gospel. Or we want to make it about the resurrection, which is also a part of the gospel. But note the title, the gospel according to Luke, katalukan. According to Luke, it's, this is the gospel. Everything about Jesus. It's not a lead up to the gospel. All of it is the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's Mark chapter 1, verse 1. 
Again, it's not prelude to it. It is the gospel. The gospel is information, of course, compiled from eyewitness testimonies, as we've already mentioned. Peter emphasizes this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We're telling you what we saw and heard, says Peter. And John does the same thing. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he talks about the resurrection, it didn't happen in a vacuum. People saw him alive after he had been killed. Up to 500 witnesses at one time. All of those writings would have been readily and quickly discredited and we would have heard nothing more from them had that not been true. A practical point. Gospel teachers must, first of all, be good gospel students. If we're going to share the gospel, if we're going to teach the gospel, then we also have to have been among those who have learned. Remember how Luke speaks of himself as being one among whom these things have been accomplished and how that he undertook to learn from eyewitnesses and ministers of the word that had been delivered. Too many times our enthusiasm outruns our knowledge. Don't let your zeal outrun your knowledge of the word of God. Like the boy I knew one time years ago who had gotten saved at a revival meeting at a Baptist church and the next day he was ready to start teaching in a seminary. We've all known people like that, right? We need to be good students. No matter how old we are, we still have things to learn. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, says Paul in 2 Timothy 3, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We must always be learning, always growing. It is important that we evaluate all truth claims with Scripture. There were lots of things said about Jesus. There are lots of things said today. There are spurious gospel accounts that have been attributed to apostles, but were never accepted by the early church, were never believed by the early church to be authored by those supposed apostles. The book of Thomas is one of the ones that comes to mind. No, we need to evaluate truth claims, whatever those truth claims may be against Scripture. Think of Acts 17.11. Now, these Jews were more, more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And as I've often said, if they needed to do that with the Apostle Paul, you need to do it with whoever is speaking in our lifetime present company included. Search the scriptures. Discern through them what's true. That's what Luke is seeking to do. By giving a written record, he is providing a means by which Theophilus will be able to evaluate other things that he hears. Because other teachings abounded then, just like they do now. If it doesn't measure up to scripture, you can discount it. We can be certain about who Jesus is and about what he did. Do you see that? You can be sure. You can be certain. He wanted Theophilus to be certain that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. John wrote, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know who Jesus is. When people join the church, we ask them, you know, 
Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to you in the gospel? Not the Jesus that is the product of the imagination of modern day intellectuals in college universities where they've never believed in him and want to present some nefarious account of his life. No, we believe in the Jesus that's presented in the gospel. That is the historical Jesus. And so that is how we may know that we have everlasting life, by believing in him. And of course, Ephesians 1.18, where Paul prays that they may have the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Hope is not a kind of wishful thinking. Hope is a sure certainty. And so as we begin this study of the gospel according to Luke, my prayer is that all of us, as we experience anew the Lord Jesus Christ, may see him not only to be the unique person that he was among all people who have ever lived in the course of history, that we may have our faith strengthened, that we may have increased assurance, or that we may otherwise come to the place where we surrender to him and bow the knee and receive him as Savior and follow him as Lord. There is none like him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we rejoice in Christ our Savior, we come now to the table that he has given to us. And as the supper and the teaching concerning it was entrusted to faithful ones, may we receive what we have learned. And as we partake, eating of the bread and drinking of the cup, we pray, Lord Jesus that you will affirm us and assure us and give us confidence and peace in the great salvation that you have purchased for us. In your name we pray. Amen.